Good morning. We thank God for such a lovely morning, although the weather is a bit um, disappointing. It's strange because joy is not one of my strengths. But I guess God wanted to work on me and then through that share with you as well. So I told my wife I was speaking about joy and she said, it doesn't look like one of your strengths, is it? (laughs) And then I said, well, we'll pray and God will give me the strength. And what we need to know about preaching is you don't preach only when you have a strength in an area. You are just a vessel. And therefore, you go to God, you ask God for his strength, and he comes to strengthen you. And through this uh, preparation over the last couple of weeks or so, I've experienced the presence of God, in particular around joy. And so I think it's the working of the Lord. And this morning, all the messages that have been coming through, God is speaking to us through worship And I know he's going to continue through his word as well. Shall we pray then, please? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share in your word this morning about the fruit of the Spirit. Father, you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us live victorious lives in this world. We pray that as we look at joy, you help us this morning to encounter your presence afresh. We've encountered you already. You've encouraged us that you do great things so that your people will rejoice. You've encouraged us to get rid of the baggage of worries all around us so that your Holy Spirit can fail us. And you've also reminded us that we are yours wherever we find ourselves. As we continue to look at joy, come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts afresh. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. So we are looking at joy, and we have two focal texts to look at this morning. So the first one is Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It says that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The second uh, verse we are looking at is John chapter 15 and verse 11. It says that these things I've spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. That came from the King James Version. We'll look at joy by asking four questions. The first question is, what is joy? The second one is, where does joy come from? 
and then we'll look at why we need joy and then concentrate on how do we cultivate joy, which is the uh, topic for this morning. So let's look at joy. What is joy in the first place? So there's a dictionary definition from the Oxford Dictionary. It says that a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. A very simple and straightforward definition. But I want to submit that for what we are talking about this morning, this definition is not adequate. The joy we are talking about here is more than that. Pleasure is temporary. Pleasure and happiness that come out of this world depends on happenings. It depends on what is happening around you. So as soon as you remove that stimulus, that joy or that pleasure dwindles and it goes away. I know for this country, you have very great uh, delight in football. <laughs> and coming, having been here for about 10 years or so, I was Ghana, Canada, and then UK. In Canada in particular, football is not a passion. So we didn't used to talk about football first thing in the morning, Monday morning. <laughs> but then when I got here, I quickly realized that for the conversation to flow, I have to align with a football team. So that talking to my colleagues at work Monday morning, it flows better. So I decided to go for Man U, Manchester United. And it was at the time that they were going through some crisis. So that season was not very, very good. And then this lovely story of Leicester came around. And I said, well, in Bedford, we are quite close to Leicester, so why don't I align? <laughs> so I tried Leicester for a year, and then <laughs> that didn't turn out very, very well. And then, if you've been coming to Woodside for some time, you hear of one particular football team, Crystal Palace. <laughs> so I did a little bit of research about Crystal Palace. What makes this team so special? And on Wikipedia, I looked at their success over the years, and it's been, you know, fluctuating, you know, up and down. But still, always, we hear of Crystal Palace here. So there were two lessons that I learned. First, you have to belong to a football team. And then secondly, you stick with that football team. Whether it's going in the right way or not. And whoever is a football fan here will realize that you don't always get the results that you are hoping for. So there are times of great pleasure and there are times of great disappointment but you are very loyal football fans. You stick with the team wherever it is. Unlike me, I was looking for to align with the team that wins. It's the same with pleasure and happiness. Ideally, we want to align with things that will bring us pleasure and happiness. In this world, it's not permanent. They come and go. 
We are in the holiday season. Maybe you've returned from holidays and it was quite difficult coming back home from your holidays because you were moving away from that which brought you happiness. So you see that worldly delights are most often followed by moments of depression because it's not lasting. Joy that we are talking about this morning does not depend on circumstances. True joy is firm and deep, and it flourishes even in the midst of affliction. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. How can that happen? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 10, it says that sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So it's quite counterintuitive. Joy that we are talking about this morning does not depend on circumstances. Actually, we can rejoice even in the middle of great suffering. So then the next question is, where does this joy come from? We can be joyful under very challenging circumstances because of hope. This morning we've sung about hope. Romans chapter 12, the first uh, bit of uh, verse 12 says that be joyful in hope. And then Romans 15 and 13, Paul says that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew Henry, commenting on this verse, said that joy and peace of believers arise chiefly from their hopes. What is laid out upon them is but little compared with what is laid up for them. Therefore, the more hope they have, the more joy and peace they have. Christians should desire and labor after abundance of hope. So this joy we are talking about has a basis, and that basis is hope. And this hope originates from the love of God that he pours in our hearts through his spirit. So Romans 5 and verse 5 says that, And hope does not disappoint us. It doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And in the Bible, there are so many examples of God's promises, which gives us hope. That we will inherit eternal life, Christ will come again, our bodies will be redeemed, and we will share in the glory of the Lord. All these things gives us hope. And so, I hope you get the link between the work of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, hope, 
and joy. So God works in us through his Holy Spirit. He pours out his love in our hearts. And that brings us hope. And then out of it flows joy. The next question we are looking at is why do we need joy? We read in John chapter 15 and verse 11. Jesus says that these things I have told you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. So the first point is that Jesus wants us to be joyful. Secondly, joy brings strength to keep going, even in the face of adversity. And as uh, Luke sang this morning, God wants to get rid of the baggage of worries that we are carrying. And if you are carrying a lot of worries, it doesn't give strength. It's going to slow you down. Your Christian life is going to suffer. But when we replace it with the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, we get strength to keep going. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, the people of God, having come back to rebuild the city, they were all assembled in one place, listening to the work the word of God, and there was great conviction. And that brought a lot of sadness. They were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of their weaknesses. So there was a lot of weeping as well. And as Christians, we experience that low points in our Christian life when we fail, when we disappoint God, and the Holy Spirit living in us, convicting us of our sin. But then this word came to the people, that go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy makes us effective as disciples and followers of Christ. I don't know if you've ever attempted going to share the word of God and you look very grumpy. <laughs> and then you apologize to that person. Sorry, I'm very, very grumpy, but I'm here to share with you the word of God. I don't think you'll be taken very, very seriously. It's not going to be that effective. Or you are serving in the church. And on one occasion, very, very grumpy. It affects the atmosphere. And so when we are burdened with guilt, with worries, with conviction of sin, it affects us. I tend to be a perfectionist, so everything, trying to get it 100% right. And if you are not careful, it can go overboard. Because what happens is you don't stop to thank God for the many blessings. You keep looking at the deficiencies. And I think 
I remember once my daughter came home, she was very happy, scored 44 out of 50. So she was, you know, coming to share. And then immediately I concentrated on the six. <laughs> so then I said, okay, well done, but let's look at that six that we lost. And then mom came in and said, no, 44 over 50 is good enough. Just congratulate her and leave it as that. And sometimes I realize that it begins to work in me, that everything I want it to be 100%. And because of that, instead of looking at it as glass half full, it's almost half empty, and concentrating on the half empty. And that takes away the focus on the blessings that God brings and the joy that comes with it. So I was praying about this, trusting God that he would change me and make me somebody who would appreciate the many, many blessings and focus on that. So yesterday I was at home reading through the notes, preparing, and then my son runs to mom and said, Daddy is smiling all over the place. So then mom comes to find out, are you all right? <laughs> At that time, I didn't realize that it was showing on my face. But I had a visitation of the Holy Spirit. I really felt inside me strength and joy of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know it had started to show in my face. And they all... And when I asked my son later on, he said, you looked much happier than normal. <laughs> and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I guess in that, at that instant, I would have been much more effective at whatever I was doing for the kingdom. Now, how do we cultivate joy? The first point I want to make here is that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's quite obvious, isn't it? If we want the Holy Spirit to bring us joy, the first thing we need to make sure is that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says that do not grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit by allowing sin to fester in our hearts. We must get rid of the weaknesses that we see in our lives so that the Holy Spirit can work in us freely and bring us joy. The second point I want to make is that we should have a kingdom worldview. And that means setting our priorities right. We are reminded of the kingdom of God as being like a treasure hidden away. And this man goes and finds this treasure. And what he does is he goes away, sells all that he has, and buys this treasure. And so what that means is that when we become children of God, we set our priorities differently from the world. And what that means is that whether in happy times or in sad moments, our priority is still fixed on God's kingdom. So even when we are happy, we see that it's a blessing of God. It's not going to last forever, but God comes in to bless us. 
And unlike believers, we don't fix our eyes on those uh, material blessings that God gives us. We know that those things don't define us. Those things don't make us who we are. What makes us who we are is our identity in Christ and the mark that he has put on us. The third point is that we should abide in him. In John chapter 15, verse 4, we saw this when um, we um, uh, had the message on love, that when we abide in him, his spirit comes and then we'll be able to bear much fruit. The next point is we should feed on his word. Psalm 19 and verse 8 says that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you spend time reading the word of God, you see joy flowing into you. You come dejected, sad, you sit down, you read the word of God, and joy flows through. The last point I wanted to make on this is that, no, the last but one, rest and wait in the presence of God. Because... There is joy in the presence of God. The presence of God here can mean many things. The word of God through his spirit. The last point is speak God's truth to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the key English, uh, I think from Wales, I hear, made this quote. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? How many times do we spend listening to what the inner man, the flesh, is telling us rather than feeding on the word of God and speaking to the flesh? I want to end by looking at the story of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk. This gives us an example of somebody who went through that transformation of being a grumpy Christian with no joy to someone exhibiting the joy of God. And how did that transition happen? It happened by fixing his eyes on God and looking beyond the discouraging circumstances around him. So let's look at Habakkuk's despair in Habakkuk chapter 1, 2, and 4. You can read it later. The first chapter talks about his complaints, his despair. The second chapter mostly talks about God's response. And then the third chapter, we look at the transformation that came. And listen to some of his complaints. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? In our days, we can talk of uh, terrorist attacks all around us. God, why do you allow this to happen? 
Why am I going through this sickness? I've prayed and prayed and prayed. Why is it that I'm being treated unfairly at work? Why is it that my children are not listening to me? Why am I going through this financial situations? Sometimes we even moan about the weather, don't we? Rain, 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 and then the sun came, so now it's getting too hot. There are so many things that we complain about. Habakkuk said, distraction and violence are before me. There is strife, conflict. And then God's response came through. Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. It says that for the revelation awaits an appointed time. When God makes a promise to us, there is an appointed time for the fulfillment. It's not going to linger. It will not prove false. It will come to pass. Then God also reminded Habakkuk in verse 14 that for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. A time is coming that there will be no more wickedness because the glory of the Lord will fill the whole space. And then finally, he reminded Habakkuk again that the Lord is in his holy temple. What that means is that God is still in control. The Lord is in his holy temple. God is still in control. And the holiness, God is holy, means that whatever he does is perfect. And then let's look at Habakkuk's transformation as we bring everything to an end. So here is Habakkuk complaining, looking at his circumstances around and spending time in the presence of God, God speaking to him. And let's look at what transpired. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, he says that though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 19 says that the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What a wonderful transformation. Now his gaze is on God and not on the circumstances around. And therefore he's... And note that those things have not gone away. They were still there, but he was able to rejoice not in the circumstances, not in his own strength, but in the strength that comes from on high. And he also draws encouragement from that strength that comes from on high. So what are we saying this morning? In conclusion, the Holy Spirit resides in us not only to convict us of sin, but to make our joy complete. And most at times, we get stuck on this work of the Holy Spirit as a comforter by somebody who convicts us of sin. We don't go beyond that. 
And I found myself in that uh, position some time ago. Always being reminded of the weaknesses and my sinful nature. But not taking the second step of drawing strength from the Holy Spirit. So, secondly, joy grows out of the unshakable hope in the love of God. And we can cultivate joy by fixing our gaze on him. Abiding in his presence and feeding on his word. Shall we pray? Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Just like Habakkuk, we sometimes get fixated on our weaknesses and on on our inadequacies, the injustice that we see around us. But Lord, you are reminding us that you've spoken these words to us this morning so that your joy will be in us, so that our joy will be full. We come to you in our weaknesses, Holy Spirit, and pray that you fill us afresh this morning and give us the strength to keep going, even in the midst of all the difficulties and weaknesses that we see around us. And help us to fix our gaze on you, who is the perfecter of our faith, so that we'll continue to trust in you day by day and live a victorious life. Thank you for the joy that the Holy Spirit brings. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.